Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Woodshed, where we tell the truth even when it hurts. On today's program, we're going to talk about government and what is the best form of government. Stick around and we'll get started. guys so here we are we're we're back in the studio today and what we want to uh record the the whole point of this episode is going to be discussing um government and how government interacts with its people and the best form of government or the best principle that exists so that government functions well and uh, we get asked this a lot of times, you know, of, you know, what's going on in our country, what's going on in the world around us, what, what's the problem with government? And man, there's plenty of, of problems with government. One, we've lost the representative form of government, and now, you know, government's pretty much corrupt from the top to the bottom. Uh, you know, on every level of government, you have people who, instead of looking to serve the public, instead are looking to enrich themselves off of the public's dime. And we have people in government government who simply aren't qualified to be there. They're elected, but they're not qualified to be there. They have people who have never run a business, who are making legislation over business, people who have never dealt with ecological issues, who are making uh, policy for the EPA and such things as that. You have people who have never farmed, who are in charge of making laws that govern agriculture. And so really what they serve as are just people who take bribes um, or accept you know, these other speaking engagements and various things. We don't want to call it a bribe. Of course, they earn it by sitting on a board and receiving money for their lack of expertise in an issue. And, uh, and instead, their ability to vote or their ability to make laws uh, concerning these various industries that they're supposed to be looking out for and serving the best interest of the people. And far too often, they just serve the best interest of the people who are paying them, which is not the taxpayer, but rather the person that's, you know, giving them bags of cash or sweetheart deals or they're they're promised this position when they retire from government, Uh, all those various different things. But the very number one thing that, that we've lost is a fear within the government of its people. And that's something that that was foundational. That's something that has been throughout civilizations of when governments work the best is when governments truly operate with a fear of the people that they govern. Because when they lose the fear of the people that they govern, then they become tyrants. Then they feel untouchable. They feel like um, that, like there's no checks and balances upon them. They can do anything they want to do. And, you know, what's the worst that's going to happen? I mean, you know, some people don't like me. Uh, some people, you know, chant uh, expletives at me during a football game. Um, you know, I mean, what, what's, what's really the consequences of me uh, being a poor governor or, or a poor legislator. And, um, and by and large, we've lost that repercussions. The worst thing that can happen is in four years, you vote against them. You know, I mean, that's, that's it. So for four years, they can do anything they want to do or six years or two years or whatever their term may be. 
And uh, and what's the worst that can happen? There, there's no consequences. And when they leave office, they're just kind of whitewashed over. We don't want to get into that banana republic to where one one government replaces a previous government, then everybody in the previous government uh, has to go to prison or be put on trial. We don't want those things. But there has to be a restoration of this principle of fear of government or government fear of its people. And we see that in Scripture. We see that in Acts chapter 5 where they arrest the apostles who were performing miracles. They're preaching the gospel. Man, they're healing the sick and people from all around are bringing the sick and the demon-possessed into Jerusalem and they're being healed and they're being delivered and the gospel's being preached and there's new converts to the faith every single day. Day. Well, the powers that be, the rulers of the day, didn't like it. They said, hey, they're messing up our Jew thing that's going on here. And, and so they took the apostles and they threw them into prison and uh, were going to hold a trial the next day. Well, the only thing is, is God didn't recognize the governor's authority for that or, or you know, the, that ruling body's authority. So God just sends an angel who just gets them out of prison, just walks them out. The door's still locked. The guards are still on duty but there ain't no apostles in there anymore. And instead, God tells them, go back to the temple and keep doing what you were doing before them goobers arrested you. And so they go back into the temple and start all over. Well, the next day, whenever they, whenever the, the, the rulers, the council assembles to hold this trial and they call for them to, to be brought from the prison, whenever the officers go into the prison, they ain't there. And they're searching for them. The door's locked. The guards are on duty. Everything looks like they should be there, but they're just simply not there. And then they realize that over in the temple, them boogers are back preaching. They're back doing the exact thing that they were thrown into prison for. And so there's this particular verse there in chapter 6 at, at verse 26 where it talks about that the officers went to the apostles and they took them without force because they were afraid of the people that they might stone them. And so the people were in support of the apostles. And so then when the authorities come to arrest the apostles, they have to do so without force and without violence because they're afraid of the repercussions of the people upon the officers who are carrying out, you know, a... a a order that is not in congruency with the people that are being governed. So the population is against the action. And so therefore, the the officers that come to arrest the apostles do so very kindly and very politely because they are afraid of the crowd. And that's the same thing that we see on display, even with uh, Jesus being crucified when Pilate is holding court, you know, and he is examining Jesus. He's seeing no fault with him whatsoever. And he tries time and time and time again to release him. But the crowd is crying out, crucify him, crucify him, and demanding that Jesus be put to death. Even though Pilate doesn't want to, Pilate has to give in to the whims of the of those that he's in charge of because there's more of them than there are of you know than there is of the Roman occupation. We also see in Mark chapter 6 with the story of John the Baptist 
where uh, Herod had John the Baptist. He's arrested, but he's kind of enjoying this, kind of the best arrest that you can have. He's being taken care of. He's being fed. Um, He's just not allowed to be down at the river uh, baptizing and preaching the gospel. And it's because it says that Herod feared John because John was a just and a holy man. So there he wanted to limit John, but he was afraid to really do anything to John. He didn't want to pick a fight with John because he knew that God was with John. We see this too with uh, John Knox and and his uh, you know his feud with uh, Mary, the Queen of Scots, where she said she feared the the prayers of John Knox more than any uh, army in Europe. And so when the government fears the people. There, the government uh, tries to deal righteously or treads very carefully into those spheres because they're very scared of the repercussions because the people will act against them. And so it's this idea of that people govern with the consent of the governed and that there's no more divine right of kings. You're no longer born a ruler. You're, you're, not, uh, you know, you're not higher than the subjects that you look down upon. And we're not subjects in this country. We are citizens. We're citizens with rights. And we have some rights that have been dedicated to us by the government. But we also, in our founding document, have rights that are inalienable, that are God-given rights that the government can't intrude upon. And so those rights are given to us by God, who is bigger than the government, and, and they recognize those rights that are given by God, not government, but by God. And we see that enshrined in the, you know, in the Constitution, in the Bill of Rights, and these various different things. Now, something we have to see, because we've become, in this nation, in America, we've become so conditioned to uh, just doing what we're told when it, comes to the, when it comes to the government, that we have to understand we didn't start out this way. In fact, our founders were you know, quite the rebels. They were quite uh, you know, against government authority. And so the signers of the Constitution, the majority of those guys, or the signers of the Declaration of Independence and the framers of the Constitution, most of those dudes were in their 20s and 30s whenever they signed it. I mean, these weren't 50 and 60-year-old rich dudes. These were young people, you know, just educated, devout Christian young people who uh, signed a Declaration of Independence, which is basically a declaration of war, against a foreign government. Well, now, they were British citizens at the time, but there they were being treated as lesser than. They had taxation without representation and all these various things. And so they send a, a breakup letter to, to Britain telling the king, yo, we, we just ain't that into you anymore. We want to do our own thing. We're, we're tired of, of being dictated to by a parliament that we didn't elect and aren't looking out for us. We're tired of rural Virginia or, or you know, these, these rural, um, you know, plantation era kind of places, you know, th- this, this uh, wilderness country that they're having to fight Indians, they're having to struggle to survive, and yet there's city dwellers in London who are making a bunch of laws for them. And they said, yeah, we, we don't like that. You know, we, we want a representative government over here. And the the king even tries at one time to appoint a governor over the 13 colonies to kind of set up a small prime minister that's over the original 13 colonies. 
And uh, yeah, them guys ain't having it either. Even the individual colonies did not want to be governed by one governor over all of them. They wanted each state to be independent of itself and self-reliant within it. And they didn't want to be treated like a country of 13 territories, but rather as 13 individual colonies that they each had the right to govern themselves and make the laws for themselves that they felt were right and just and 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 fit where they live. And so when they appointed that governor, when the king appointed the governor, the people just rose up and arrested the governor and threw him in jail and said, you know, try to try to govern from the stockade, you know, try to govern from the prison cell. And uh, we're just going to keep on going with our lives. And so the king was like, oh, yeah, that that didn't work out very good. And and he rescinded that plea. They canceled a lot of taxes and a lot of the policies that were put over the, you know, over the uh, the states. And but there was still this animosity that was building between our, you know, between the colonies and the King of England, between you know Britain and the British colonies. There was this animosity. So what happened was people in the colonies started to stockpile ammunition and they started to stockpile, uh, you know, guns and weapons and these various different things. And that's where we get, um, you know, we get Paul Revere with the ride, you know, the British are coming, the British are coming and one by sea and two by land and all this, this various different stuff is actually where the British were coming to seize the armory of the colonists. You know, they were coming to seize the weapons and, and the bullets and everything that they had stockpiled. And the British are on their way to seize that to prevent an uprising. And that's where we get the Battle of Bunker Hill and all these various things that get started. The Revolutionary War really kicks off when the British government is like, yeah, you know, them, you know, them rowdy colonists, they... Uh, they may have bad intentions. We don't want to have to fight them, so let's take away their weapons so that they'll just have to do whatever we say, and they can live in fear of us versus us living in fear of them. And uh, they kind of get their kind of get their uh, hides handed to them there as they try to confiscate those uh, those weapons. And the early American. Uh, settlers, man, our forefathers were absolute gangsters when you look at it. I mean, there was a constant rebellions. There was constant uprisings. You know, we look at, you know, the Boston Tea Party was just over the fact that they wanted that the colonists to only be able to buy British tea. They literally, you know, overthrew the government. They, they rebelled against the government over a choice of beverage, I mean, that is, that's crazy. They just threw the tea into the harbor over that, you know, uh, you know, and, and there, then we go on down to, uh, in the early Americas with Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Virginia, Massachusetts, they all had these little rebellions that flared up when they didn't think when the individual people within the States didn't think that their elected officials were looking out for what's best. I mean, we get in Pennsylvania the story of the Paxton boys who marched on the Capitol because they didn't feel like the governor was providing them with enough protection from the Indians. And so they just marched on the Capitol and shut it down and said, you know, if you, you know, we're not going to collect taxes. We're not going to do any of this until you actually start to do your job. We had the same thing in North Carolina where a group rose up called the Regulators, and they actually fought the con the colonial troops 
for not killing enough Indians, for not protecting them against the Indian raids and invasions. They said, you know, if you're going to tax us, you better show us what the taxes are going for. If I'm going to pay these these guys salary, then I don't want them to stand around and just make sure that I'm obeying the law. I actually want the government to protect me and look out for my best interest. To me, one of the best stories that's usually overlooked in history is of Bacon's Rebellion. And what happens is here, this Virginia lawyer is asking the governor for protection against Indians as the Indians are raiding his farm and killing some of his workers and killing some of his livestock. And the governor said no. They told Nathaniel Bacon, you know, to go, you know, go pound sand that uh, they weren't going to do anything about it, that, that uh, it wasn't their problem and he just needed to learn to live with it. And so what happened is he forms a a party of 300 men and burns down the capital, the city of Jamestown. He burns it down and says, well, if the government isn't going to work for me, then it just doesn't need to exist. It's of the people, by the people, for the people. It's not that the people exist for the government. We're not owned by our country, but rather we own our country. We are citizens of. We are not subjects. And so when there's an unjust rule, we don't simply comply and go along with it, but rather we, we petition the government in various different ways. There's also even Shays Rebellion. And after the independence of, of America here in Massachusetts, uh, there was this uh, constant oppression by the people, by banks, because of, of uh, unfair lending practices and the creditors uh, not extending credit or charging usury rates instead of a, a, a decent uh, interest rate. And so there again, they just shut it down, man. And even... When America tried to raise funds to pay off its national debt and they put a tax on whiskey, the sale of whiskey, there we get the Whiskey Rebellion where they literally just said nope and they start terrorizing the revenue agents that would come to try to put the tax stamps on the whiskey and inspect the distilleries and they would just run them off. I mean, they would just, you know, just scare them away and threaten them until they left. They even shut down the mail service and said, no, nah, we're not even going to let the postmen come around. We, we don't need any letters uh, being delivered. All the letters are, are bad news anyways. So they shut it down and even disrupt the courts and said, well, you can't, you can't execute arrest warrants if the judge doesn't sign it. So we're just going to make sure nobody enters the courthouse and just completely shut down the government there uh, over the issue of just taxation on whiskey. Man, today you got taxation on whiskey, on eggs, on milk, on bread, on everything you do. I mean, you can't hardly blow your nose without paying a fine or getting a permit first or a license to, for it to be done. Our founders were much stronger than we are. And the original Americans were much more American than we are today. And the American spirit is one of telling the government what they can do and what they can't do versus just simply complying and going along and doing whatever whatever we're told. 
In fact, the right to uh, stand up to tyranny is one that's enshrined in our Second Amendment, where it's there for the right of the use of firearms. It is there not because of hunting or any of these type of things, but it's there for protection, and not just protection against um, you know, Indians or a, or a bad member of society or something, but it's literally about protection from the government of that if they're going to intrude, they have to tread very lightly because there is the chance of civil unrest. There is the chance of violence. There should be some fear when they come to enforce an unjust law. Now, in America today, we've almost all but lost that. We've had generation after generation that's been raised to be compliant with injustice. And we saw that with the, you know, through this whole COVID pandemic and all, which wasn't a pandemic at all. It was really a farce that was spread and there was a sickness that went around and it did impact some people and impact some people uh, severely. But the fact is, is that now in retrospect, and even while it was going on, we had a lot of people who were raising red flags and sounding the alarm that this was not something that we should participate in and play along with. But people just played it safe. They didn't have that American spirit. They didn't have that revolutionary spirit within them. They had no fight. They just didn't want to fuss. And it was just whatever, whatever I've got to do. Do I wear one mask, two masks, three masks? Do I need a face shield? Um, you know, do I have to have a, a ventilator to go into Walmart? Um, you know, uh, do I need to leave my packages out in the sun? Do I spray do spray my mail with Lysol? Uh, do I need to cancel Christmas? Do we need to ditch mom in the in the nursing home and not not see her or talk to her? Uh, you know, in order to save her life, just whatever the experts say. And the problem is, is that very often the experts are stupid and we just follow stupid people very blindly. I had a teacher, an educator that used to have a quote. He said, an expert is just a little spurt a long way from home. He's just a person like anybody else. They're not given a higher degree of intelligence or a greater learning or a greater capacity. They aren't ordained by God and step off of the mountain uh, to, to hear dwell with us common folks and to, to lead us in all wisdom and honor. Nah, they're, they're just folks, man. They grew up somewhere, got skin, knees, had their diapers changed and their butt spanked. I mean, they're just like everybody else and they're just as capable of making mistakes. And guess what? They're just as capable at being corrupt. And whether that's a, you know, a health industry leader who is saying that medications that do work don't work, so that then you have to use the medication that he happens to own that doesn't work and actually causes liver failure and your kidneys to shut down and blood clots and all these various other things, or whether it just be a local doctor that's just doing what they're told and not looking at the research. One of the things that was really funny during COVID was to read the actual Institute of Health or the Surgeon General or the World Health Organization and go to their website and read the studies that they're basing these decisions and recommendations off of. And the study would conclude something completely contrary to their advice. 
in the whole study would say, yeah, face masks don't work. They don't work at all. They absolutely do not work. The, the virus is smaller than the pores on the mask. And in some instances, the mask actually serves as a collection instrument for the virus and becomes a point of infection. You actually get sick from the mask of all of those particles accumulating on the mask. And then you're walking around with that thing, sucking air through it. And you're almost more guaranteed to get sick with a mask than without a mask. And then at the very end of the study, they'd say, yeah, you know, masks don't, don't work, but we think that you should wear a mask. So there's a visual reminder of the pandemic, and maybe that will cause people to be more cautious. So wear the mask for a psychological manipulation, not for any actual medical help. Wow. And they kept saying, wear a mask, you got to wear two masks, sometimes three masks. You got to have the N95, you got to have this uh, ventilator. Oh, you got you to gotta pump up that mask, man. And the whole time they know the masks don't work. And they know that, you know, vitamin D3, zinc, um, you know, uh, these sorts of things, they really help. And the ivermectin and and the um you know the arthritis uh, uh, medicine that's used for uh, lupus and and uh, and everything uh, I can't think of it offhand you know but uh, that hydroxychloroquine that these actually do help and they said that didn't so that they could then sell you something that's expensive versus some cheap very proven wonder medications and it was all a scam that's all it was it was just all a scam. It was a bad flu season that they made much worse with all that they did. They actually prolonged it, made it worse, gave it a chance to mutate, and there sold people on the idea of a, of a um, vaccine that couldn't, couldn't work from the very beginning. That's the reason why they haven't cured the common cold is because coronaviruses mutate. So by the time you take a vaccine, the virus has already mutated past the vaccine. So you're always trailing behind. That's why people get the flu shot and still get the flu. That's why there's no cure for the common cold and no prevention for it. They've never been able to to solve the simplest of sicknesses. But yet here is a coronavirus and they're saying, take this experimental thing that we haven't thoroughly vetted or tested. We don't know the long-term ramifications, but it's going to save you from this pandemic that actually isn't that scary as long as you're not in extremely poor health. Well, people just complied because they didn't have the American spirit. They didn't understand things, and so there they were laid victim to. But the rest of society, while the church lost this understanding of that government works best when government fears the people, while we lost it, secular society found it, and they picked it up, and they toted it, man. That's why you had the Black Lives Matter uh, riots. You know, they weren't protests. They were riots. When you start smashing uh, you know, windows and lighting things on fire, that's not a protest. That's a riot. That's a crime. Protests are fine. March, shout, don't obstruct traffic, don't get in the way, abide by the laws, but you have the right to protest. But these weren't protests. They were riots. So what we saw was 
these riots would take place and they would smash windows, destroy property, light uh, vehicles on fire, light buildings on fire. And where was the government to stop it? They didn't because they were scared. Where were the police to arrest those people? They didn't because they were scared. They were even laying siege to uh, to police departments and burning buildings and throwing incendiaries and trying to light them on fire and smashing windows. And the police didn't even protect their police headquarters because they were scared, because they feared the people. But then they could march into a neighborhood And in this neighborhood, a citizen could stand on his front lawn with a weapon, and as they're chanting that they're going to kill this person and threatening or throwing things or threatening to light their house on fire, the police did show up, and they showed up to arrest the homeowner because they weren't scared of the homeowner. They knew the homeowner was law-abiding and he was compliant, and so they would arrest him, and they arrested people who owned gymnasiums, and they arrested business people, and they terrorized the good people while allowing the bad people to be a terror because they were afraid of Black Lives Matter. They weren't afraid of homeowners. They weren't afraid of taxpayers. They weren't afraid of business owners, and they weren't afraid of pastors. Now, this goes a long ways from the British government being afraid of the black-robed regiment during the, uh, during the American Revolution or, or Mary, Queen of Scots, being afraid of John Knox or any of these various things. I mean, we went a far piece to where the pastors were all too ready to be compliant, tuck their head between their legs, and just, and just say, well, what do you want me to do now, Master? Verses go and no, this is what God says. God says that we worship him on this day. We're going to gather together for the proclamation of the word. Nah, man, we had a bunch of scaredy feminine pastors who just said, oh, we got to love our neighbor. We Romans 13, we don't even understand it, but it says something in there. Peter said something about obeying the government. And so let's just shut down. Let's just cower. Let's just do whatever. And instead of standing strong, they coward in weakness. And we learned something. We learned something very important. We learned that the government is not afraid of its people. And we learned that the people are very afraid of the government and that they can use information to manipulate the population whichever way they want to. And so they allowed liquor stores to stay open, but they closed churches. They allowed Walmart to stay open, but they closed the churches. They allowed, you know, Home Depot and Lowe's and these places that were jam-packed during COVID. I mean, people started gardening and tending to their lawns and building stuff because they were home. They couldn't do anything. And man, Lowe's would be absolutely jam-packed and then the church would be empty on Sunday because the pastors were more scared of the people than the people were scared of the pastors. And Lowe's was allowed to stay open because guess what? The chief of police, the mayor, the legislators, they were more afraid of Lowe's lawyers or Walmart's lawyers or Home Depot's lawyers than they were the voters, than they were the citizens, than they were the churches, than they were the pastors, the denominations. 
And so there they showed their weakness and they showed that lack of understanding of the very principles of a just society and of a righteous government exists when the government is afraid of the people. In the same way, what we saw was as the church failed tremendously during COVID, the church had failed tremendously during the abortion era that had taken place for so long. The church failed in so many different ways, but what we saw was a hero did arise, and this hero that arose were angry rednecks. And these angry rednecks fought back against the system that was trying to be corrupt and this system that was taking advantage and over and over and over again, just pressing down upon the Christian community, upon what was good and righteous and American and all these various things. But then whenever a beer company made a a uh, a gender statement that they didn't agree with by uh, simply sending a congratulatory one-time can to a transvestite, then the beer drinkers were like, yo, no, nah, we ain't doing it. I ain't drinking that beer no more. And have completely destroyed the customer base of Bud Light. And that sent a message that echoed throughout the whole retail space where all of a sudden they were like, yo, maybe we need to back away on this pride flag stuff. Maybe maybe we don't change our our logo during, during you know, sin month, pride month. Maybe we don't change our logo because we're afraid we're next. And then one rose to the occasion and Target said, ah, hey, we're big bad Target. We we do soccer moms and stuff. They they don't care. They've been drinking in filth from Disney for years. And and uh, so what we're going to do is we're just going to put all the gay, all the trans, we're going to target the children. We're going to put it right up front. And then the people said, no, no, we're not going to shop at your store anymore. And they lost millions and millions of dollars. And then they were like, yo, well, maybe we need to move this to the back of the store where not everybody sees it, but like maybe we can still make the weirdos happy, you know, the 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 perverts, maybe they'll still be happy and it's there, but it's in a back corner. And there the target people said, Yup, no, not gonna do that either. We're not gonna shop there. Get it out of there. And so they had to back up and walk away. And so these companies lost tens of millions of dollars. Their stock price saw a a drastic reduction. Their sales went way down. And even now, dudes, hey, I'm not going to buy those products. We're not going to shop at that store going into the Christmas season. Yeah, nah, you're done. And what it took was it took soccer moms and it took rednecks and beer drinkers and college campuses it took immoral people to take a stand against immorality because the Christians wouldn't. It's the same as in the 90s when there was a call among the Baptists to boycott Disney and all the good Baptists just loaded up their cars and drove to Orlando. And we lost the battle because we were more concerned about our babies getting to see a dude in a costume dressed, you know, a dude in a mouse costume than we were about standing for morality. 
And we see today with all of the messaging and all of the targeting that comes out of Disney towards children with sexuality, with perversity, with homosexuality, with all of these things, it's not necessary, but they put it in because they want to, and they're not afraid of the Christians and of the parents because they know that the Christians and the parents are just going to buy their crap anyways. And they're just going to cower and conform, and they're just going to go along because they don't want baby girl not to sing, let it go, let it go. And they're not going to want them to miss out on the next big thing, you know, the next thing, you know, that Halloween's coming up, and, and they're still going to buy the dresses, they're still going to buy the costumes, they're still going to buy the lunchboxes and the backpacks, they're still going to go to the theater, no matter how perverse, no matter how wicked we make it we're still going to get a bunch of those rubes to go along with us and to finance us. They're still going to give us their money. And increasingly now, what we see is we see people fighting back against it. We see things like Angel Studios. We see things like Bent Key. We see a lot of these where they're coming along, and even if it's not necessarily Christian, it is very conservative, and it, and it has a point. It's not just perversity, but it actually has a purpose. And in that, these other things are rising to the occasion. And if we could just get our, our Christians to rally around and to be as, as fastidious and, and have the fortitude that a bunch of beer drinkers and soccer moms had, then we could really change things. Friends, you know, when they initially took prayer out of school and that's a thing. That's a discussion, uh, you know, to be had. But you know what can't uh, can't be denied is that when they took prayer out of school, if every Christian in America would have withdrew their kids from school the very next day, they would have put prayer back in school. But we didn't because we like the government daycare. We like busting our kids off for eight hours and not having to think about it. Because sometimes teaching little Johnny to read is hard, and we don't want to do the hard work. We're going to ship them off down there for somebody else to do it so that we can just enjoy, so that we can have the extra income, so that we can all these various different things. And those things were more important than prayer in school. And they said, oh, okay, well, if this is, well, then let's do this other. Let's put in uh, evolution. Let's put in, uh, you know, the, the gender theory and sex education. And, man, they just kept throwing one thing after another, after another, after another into the public school system. And yet the Christians still have not gotten enough sour taste in their mouth to stand up against it. They may complain about it, but guess what? You still do it. Oh, man, we threw a fit over Common Core Math, and guess what? You just kept doing it. Yeah, I mean, every time we get an outrage, it's just a little kerfluffle, and it passes away, and they know that you don't have the backbone or the spine to be able to do anything about it. They don't fear you. And so with that, they do whatever they want, and you fear them. Oh, no, they might put me on a list. They might, they might mark me down. I might be... You know, threatened to be weird. They might take away some privilege that they've given me. And so we're all too ready to cower. We're all too ready to comply. We're all too ready just to go along because sometimes making a stand is difficult. And sometimes there's unpleasant consequences.
And so we just rule that it's not that important. It's not worth the trouble. And it's just easier to go along. It's easier to comply. It's easier to wear the mask. It's easier to take the shot. It's easier to let our kids see the perversity. It's easier for for us to let the kids see that movie that we know they ought not to watch because, after all, we don't want them to miss out and all the other kids are doing it. And so the state that we've gotten into is because we've lost that fire and that fervor that our founders and that our church fathers had, the ones who are willing to be martyred for the faith and were not ready to be inconvenienced for the faith, those who were ready to fight the most powerful nation on the planet over tea. And here we are going, yeah, it it doesn't matter, tax everything. Tax breathing, tax carbon, tax anything you want. And we just go along. So the world is the way the world is because we've allowed it. Not because of any grand scheming, not because evil was greater than we are, but rather that we just slowly allowed evil to creep in and to continue to grow. And we never fought back against it because it might mean that we have to give up a Thursday night to go to the PTO meeting. Or we might have to run for school board, and there, you know, we might have to actually go to those meetings too. We may have to give up a Saturday on the couch or in front of the the TV screen to go participate in the local politics or to go and and participate in a, a voter registration or any of these various things. And it just wasn't convenient. And so we've allowed evil into our homes and we've allowed it to grow because we're lazy, because we're incon because it's inconvenient. And because simply, we don't want to. And that's what it comes down to. So we've lost the fear that government had of its people. We lost the intestinal fortitude of the Boston Tea Party or of the the Concord Armory or of the Paxton Boys or Bunker Hill or the Regulators or or Nathaniel Bacon or Daniel Shea or the Whiskey Rebellion. Uh, Man, we have lost all of that because we've just been blessed into our laziness and into our ignorance. So what's the resolution? The resolution is when we actually become aware of our history and of our founding. It's where we read our church fathers and we know their testimonies. It's where we see the great men of the past stand strong and we say, you know what, if they can do it, I can do it too. It's where we're willing to bear the burden of inconvenience where we're willing to bear the burden of a little persecution in our lives, and where we say, you know what, I'm not going to let my daughter dress as a hooker and go to homecoming. It's just not what we do. You can either dress right or or you're not going to go. We're not going to put her in that room that's dark and play ungodly, filthy music and, and let you know a bunch of boys grind up on her and her grind on a bunch of... No, we're not going to participate in that. No, that's, that's not Christian. It's not what we're going to do. You know what? We're not participating in Halloween. Yeah, I know it's cute and it's fun, and you may dress as Paw Patrol, but guess what? It's a celebration of death, and that's not what we're going to do. It's a glorification of evil. We're not called to that. And so we're going to be strange, and we're going to be different, and we're just not going to do it. And until you're ready to bear those consequences and those burdens, and until you're ready to lead the charge, The world's not going to change, but it will in the households of real men. 
And when real men stand up and take a stand just within their home, then things begin to change in the home with the children and for the future of our nation, for the future of our churches, for the future of our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So friends, stay strong, make the little decisions in your home, and if you see a power vacuum, if you see a place of authority that exists, it needs to exist for the glory of Jesus. It needs to exist for the kingdom of Christ. And so I encourage those who are uh, men of virtue, those who are my Christian brothers, to step into those roles Run for school board, run for city council, run for governor, run for state rep, you know, run for these offices because in there we need righteous men who are going to govern righteously and according to the precepts of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ and not according to their flesh and not according to the whims of their evil natures. So until next time, friends, this has been Brother Jonathan at the Woodshed where we tell the truth even when it hurts. We ask that you give us a like, that you give us a share, write us a review on whatever streaming service that you're, that you're listening to us on. Uh, check out our YouTube channel where we do post our weekly sermons. And you can find that at The Woodshed Podcast with Jonathan Jones on YouTube. It'll take you right to us. And with that, until next time, friends, be a blessing, shine the light, don't be afraid. Speak the truth in love in every situation and let God guide your steps.